Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors and the upcoming Animals. And I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And you, my friend, are a beer animal. I'm I don't know what that animal. means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but what beer are you drinking today? Uh, okay, so it is it is very cold here by Los Angeles standards. Um, we had this crazy Alaskan front like roll through or whatever, and uh, and it's dropped temperatures. We actually have a freeze warning tonight, which is super rare in Southern California down here. And uh, so as a result, I needed a stout. And I wanted something that's high ABV, so I went with the tried and true, man. I have another bottle of this Bourbon County brand stout, a.k.a. the beer that I gave a perfect 10 to about a month ago. And we're going to have another one, so it'll be a very short review. It'll either be a 10 or a 9.5, depending on how I'm feeling uh, by the end. But if it was a 10 last time, it's probably a 10 this time. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that sounds good. I wish I did have a stout. Um, it is cold down here in San Diego as well, to the point where it was actually hailing, so... Um, that's, that's happened, I think three times over the last week and a half. So it's Mm kind of crazy. My buddy, or not my buddy, my brother, my brother lives out in Alpine, which is uh, like Southeast from here and he had snow. So it's, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and I am having a beer that you gave me. It is, uh, I'm yeah, trying to figure out Attitude Brewing Company. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, there was two labels. One was in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. So uh, mm-hmm. Attitude Brewing Company, and it is their famous Mexican lager. So, um, yeah. Famous. For famous. World famous. Yeah, five, 5% five ABV, 16 ounces of this bad boy. Let's see how it is. Yeah, let's see how it is. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I don't mind it. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've... I, I feel like I've been having a lot of loggers on the pod lately, and a lot of them weren't very good. So <laughs> this one is actually a, a slight step up from those. So okay, okay, good deal. That's that's good. Yeah. Now that we got those beers out of the way, what was the first thing you did this week, my friend? Yeah, the first thing I did. This is going to be a bit meandering, but hey, I'm a bit meandering. Um, so the first thing I did We're this week, which I. I haven't talked about with any kind of detail, but I wanted to get down to it this time because there's a couple couple things I did this week that I'll tie into this. I prepared my third wave of queries for agents to uh, ideally represent my novel. Of course, the novel was finished last October. I have done two rounds of queries. I do not have an agent yet. I've gotten, you know, out of the 20 I've sent so far, I think I've gotten actual like four or five you know, let's just call them rejects or hard rejects, as in they wrote back and said, sorry, um, I don't think I'm the agent for this. Again, the the wording is all very nice. You have no idea what they really think of it, but you know they don't want to represent it. And then the other mm-hmm. 16 or so are simply soft passes, a.k.a. they never got back to me. I personally prefer hard passes way more than I prefer soft passes. Yeah, totally. Soft passes, so you're just like, but did you ever read it? You know, like, I'd rather have somebody read it and say no than, shit, I have no idea if you read it or not, you know? Right, so anyway, yeah. that's, I think that's the way a lot of us are. Um, so uh, an interesting thing about this wave is that when you have, when you have some rejections under your belt, you decide to get a little more, you know, you're, you're going to workshop your own shit. And, and the thing I'm workshopping is the query itself. Am I selling 
this story enough in the query. And uh, and something I'm happy about is most of the first, I think one of the reasons I got, you know, I was left kind of hanging on red uh, for the first one is almost everything was an email. And what I've done since then is I've subscribed to these, um, it's called Query Tracker. It's an, it's basically just a database-based system where you send a query that way, right? So they have fields and it's like a form, and then you send it to them via a form and then they have to respond. That's the best part. Like oh, okay. that's, that's the way Query Tracker works. It puts them on the hook for responding to you. Um, and that that's the way you know they've read it or not. So one thing I'm very happy about is going forward pretty much, you know, 80% and up probably of my queries um, are at least going to get a response, which I would much rather have than just, you know, flying it out into the ether like that and never hearing back. So that's one thing. Um, and all I'm doing is just trying to find new agents and people that might potentially represent it. You know, I, I don't know how great a fit they are, but, uh, you know, I'm not even sure how great a fit horror is in today's market. The deals are not necessarily going to horror. And that's something I know from, you know, the a couple of the websites I subscribe to that detail all of the deals that are going on. But what I did was, you know, sometimes they will ask for your query letter, but then they'll ask you for a pitch too, or they'll ask you for a query letter and a pitch and similar comparison books, which all those things are in your query, but it feels like they want it more detailed than that. And what I've done is I've, without naming the books that I'm comparing it to, they've gotten a lot more mainstream and I'm taking a little bit more of a chance. So, I mean, I'll give one. I compare I compare my book. I think I've mentioned before that it has elements of, like, cosmic horror, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a very well-known cosmic horror story is The Mist by Stephen King. So, I'm comparing it to The Mist now. Like, why not? You know, like, for a query letter, what you want to do when you're, when you're querying an agent is you want to drop some books in there that are a little bit deep cuts that show you're not just reading, like, you know, Stephen King and John Clancy. For those of you out there, the query agents, never compare your shit to, like, Stephen King and John Clancy. Um, at, at most, what you want to do is have one popular novelist and one un, one less popular novelist that's still in, out there in the mainstream. If you can do two less popular ones for whatever reason, that's a little more frowned upon. You know, that's a little more smiled upon. But I, I personally go with the theory in general of like one big selling book and one moderate selling book. Um, but in terms of comparisons, I went ahead and put the mist there. And then I put it too, because while it's not a great fit, it does have some cosmic horror elements there um, present. So it made me feel better when I started doing that. And I did some other comparisons that were multimedia, that were cross media, that were movies. And uh, it, you know, when it all, when I ended up hitting send on them, I've hit, I did half of them today and I'll do half of them tomorrow because they take a while. Because every agent wants something slightly different. So you need to keep track of all those things and you need, need to give people what they want. This is something we talked about before on the whole how to submit to a publisher. The number one thing you can do when you submit to a publisher or an agent or anybody, read what they want and then give them that thing. Don't don't color outside the lines. Don't give them extra. Give them exactly what they want. There's a reason they want it and you have to trust their judgment. If they want the first five pages but you think your first ten are the shit, tough. Put your first five in. And that's of a comic, right? Like Invader has a first five pages of your comic policy. That's all we want to see because we don't want our inboxes stuffed. So, um, so to that point, that was part one where like I just felt better because I'm getting a little more 
adventurous in my comparisons and in my self-marketing through the query. And I feel better about it. It's slightly less accurate, but more, but easier to relate to, if that makes sense. That's what I like about it. You know, like, is it 100% accurate? No. Is it 80% accurate? Probably not. But you're going to have to read the whole thing to figure that out, aren't you? You know, and if you get through the whole thing, you're like, well, that really wasn't like whatever. Yeah, well, I got you to read it, didn't I? <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's that's the important part. That reminds me of uh, uh, Kirkman's pitch about The Walking Dead to Jim Valentino of Image Comics. And it was just like, oh, yeah, like there's a zombie apocalypse. And then... Yeah, there's aliens. The aliens come down and they're responsible for the apocalypse. And um, that that was the hook for that book. And then I think um, like six or seven issues went by and there was no aliens or even a mention of aliens. And Valentino mm-hmm. was like, hey, man, where are the aliens? And Kirkman goes, oh, there's no aliens. I just told you that so you'd publish the book. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So this this definitely has that. It's not It's not that much of an out... Uh, yeah, know, not a one to one exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's not a one to one, but it's definitely there, and it makes me feel a little better. And I think as I continue to tweak this, because you know, I'm I'm at least going to wait for my 40th rejection before I start thinking about an alternate course. And maybe by the time I get to 40, I decide I want to go ahead and pitch 10 more, 20 more. It depends on how many agents are out there and how I feel I've canvassed canvassed that that field. So that's part one of this. Um, yeah, and and like. If you do get to the point where you're like, yeah, I think I'm done submitting this to agents and what I'm going to do next, an option from what I heard is you could submit it to like Amazon uh, and they'll they, they'll do like a print on demand situation or something like that. So people can order it, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool option. And then you can always sell it digitally there as well. I'll release it through Invader is what I'm going to do. Oh, there you go. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's something I've talked about with Mike um, that we might have to change up the style just a little bit, but they seem pretty down with it if it comes to that, you know, and and we'll go from there. We'll go from there. A novel through Invader would be a little bit different, but we have released uh, Invader and 215 have released novels in the past. So it's oh, okay. not completely unfamiliar territory. So the second angle of that that I want to bring up, which I think in a weird way relates to this query stuff, is that I read... I read The Ocean at the End of the Lane last week. That's a book by Neil Gaiman. And uh, as as I've gone on record, um, Neil Gaiman's one of my favorite writers. So I started The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And about an hour into the audiobook, I was ready to put it down. I was like, I don't don't think this is super good. Like, it's not grabbing me. You know, it's it's fine, but it's not what I signed up for. Or at least it's it's not what I thought was typical Neil Gaiman quality. But I stuck with it. And God damn it if it didn't pick up. Right? I mean, I let it sit for like three or four days. And I was like, do I even want to read this? But then I went ahead and stuck stuck with it and read it. And then it blew up into something very interesting and became a very good book. You know, like I would rate it overall probably like an eight and a half out of ten. I mean, it's oh, a wow. really good, really good book. And and the reason I wanted to mention this thing, right, that this book is amazing, is that I almost put it down. This is a book by one of my favorite authors who I am predisposed to like. And I still wanted to put it down after the first hour because it wasn't grabbing me. And then I gave it a chance and it did. And in a weird way, because I was prepping queries while I was going through this, I'm like, you know, this could be anybody's thing. This could be anybody's book, right? This could be my book going out to agents 
this could be other people's books coming into Invader. Like, sometimes you have to give works a chance and you have to view them in totality and a short snippet of it isn't enough. You know, like if I read the first five pages of Neil Gaiman's uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane and then had to make a decision on whether to read it, I'd be like, nah, I'll pass. Thank you. But I stuck with it and I got a reward for it. And it I, I say that as a way to creators out there, you know, because I thought of it for myself and I think of it for you too. Like, so many subjective life things go into people, you know, reading your stuff when you're trying to get critiques, when you're trying to get a review, when you're trying to get it published, when you're trying to get attention, all those things. So everybody's lives factor into what they're doing and their preferences. And in a weird way, you can make the argument that the first five pages to 10 pages of anything isn't fair. That's the way life is, but it also may not be fair. So I bring all this up because it's helpful to know. You know, again, I was predisposed to like this book and I still almost put it down and I decided to just push through it and it ended up blossoming into something pretty amazing. And um, I feel like there's a lesson in there where, you know, that means that no matter what sample sizes people are, are getting and if they aren't responding, if they are responding, great. If they aren't responding, then that's that's no indictment of the work. It's no indictment of you. It's no indictment of anything. Yeah. And there's a good chance that because we're not Neil Gaiman, they put it down. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. like you said, you're predisposed to wanting to read this book, to like this book because you love the author. And mm -hmm. you got an hour in and you're like, yeah, this isn't grabbing me, but guess what? It's Neil Gaiman, so I'm going to stick it out. Um, yeah. Us creators that are unknowns, we don't have that luxury. So like where, you know, going back to the Kirkman thing, Valentino, like he would pitch it and Valentino goes, you need a hook. There's no hook there. Like every, there's zombie books everywhere, you know, like those, those already exist. And, you know, what makes this one special? And that's where Kirkman came back with the... Um, oh, there's aliens, right? And so that's how he got the... Oh, it's okay. Okay, we got a hook here. That's different. All right, mm -hmm. put the book out. Now, Valentino's response to... He didn't like the book, so I lied to him and I made him put it out anyway. Valentino said, well, he pitched it wrong. If he told me it is a story about a relationship between his dad and his son that just so happened to be in the zombie apocalypse, I would have published that. But that's not how he, that's not how he pitched it. And right. so, yeah, so like there's there's differences there where, you know, like Valentino decided to release it just based off of the hook. And, you know, mm -hmm. he was reading and reading and reading and waiting for this thing to come that never came. That that kind of enabled Kirkman to keep Valentino on the hook until we got there. And then it never got there. He goes, well, but I like the story anyway, and it's doing well in sales or whatever. Right. So exactly. Um, I think us as creators, we don't have the luxury of just going off of name value and going, oh, well, I trust Keith, I trust Scott, you know, eventually this story will get there if it's not hooking me right away. Like, yeah. for the most part, we're unknowns to the audience that are picking up our books. So it's just like, okay, we have to hook them within the first book or else they might not come back for more. And that's just exactly. the, that's the reality of comics in general. And it's not just the unknowns. Like, there's plenty of Marvel and DC books or image books where you pick up the first issue and go... Eh, I don't really like this new run. This run's not very good. Then you don't pick up the next one because comic books are $5 a piece now. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's good if you're an established name and you do have that ability to hold on to someone for a little bit longer. But until yeah. you get there, make sure you're hooking these people right away because that's the disadvantage we have as being uh, unknowns. 
Yeah, exactly. And and if we're trying to take what I've said and synthesize it into one thought, it's Neil Gaiman had a great advantage in me buying the ocean the at the end of the lane and not thoroughly enjoying the first hour, which was number one, I'd pay for I'd paid for it already. Number two, he's Neil Gaiman. That's the fucking hook. Right? Mm-hmm. The hook is this is the guy who wrote Sandman. Bitch, you know who I am. Yeah, exactly. You know my name, <laughs> right? Um, but but like Scott said, we're not Neil Gaiman. So that's what makes this this pitch, this hook that we're trying to do so, so much more important. I think in a weird way, you can bring that back to our pitches. You know, I was um, I guested on uh, Gary Hodge's YouTube channel um, over the weekend and something that Gary has become fascinated with recently is like the 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 super elevator pitch, right? The idea of this minimal word pitch that you and I do all the time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and Gary mentioned on the show that something that he really likes about me is that I can I can pitch my books in in just a few words, right? And you guys hear it every week on the podcast. I'm not going to repeat it here. You know what Three Protectors is, and you know what Kadoja is. And if you don't, wait till the end of the episode. I'm going to take three or four words to describe both of them. Um, and I think what I am learning as I go through this novel is I've spent so much time thinking about the novel that I haven't really thought about how to pitch it because I've been kind of like on this field of dreams thing, you know, well, I wrote it, they will all come, they will all shower me with riches and, and fans and all that stuff. And it's like, no, I got to sell it harder. And I, and I may have to, you know, amplify up this idea of, you know, quote unquote, the aliens that aren't in an alien story. I might need to relate it to a book that doesn't that, that, that a book or a movie that has sold way better or is super popular, but doesn't quite match my book. Because right. you're in the job of selling, like you're not you're not misrepresenting it. You're just trying to sell it, and there's nothing wrong with being, you know, the you know the right the right primary color, but the wrong shade. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all, because you're getting people's attention. Yeah, I kind of do that at conventions with Second Shift. It's like it's an easier pitch if I say minimum wage superheroes, and yep. they're they instantly become fascinated. And I've noticed the more I talk about it they lose lose interest because the 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 one word or the one sentence the few word sentence that i give them is fascinating to them but once they start reading the book they can be like oh this isn't what i thought it was but mm-hmm. i like it right so yeah, like exactly. that's the hope it's like all right you come in and you go oh it's not that they're getting paid to be superheroes with minimum wage they work minimum wage jobs and they happen to be superheroes so it's exactly. just um, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. And then hopefully at that point, they're like, yeah, but I like it. It wasn't what mm-hmm. I thought it was, but I like it. So I'm just to keep going. Yeah. I mean, Three Protectors isn't Kung Fu in space. Kung Fu in space is anti-gravity Kung Fu right out in the, in the you know, va- vacuum. But it's close enough. It's, mm-hmm. it's interplanetary Kung Fu, which is what I have on my table runner when I do shows. Um, so yeah, you just need to be in the right, the right ballpark. Yeah. And, and like to your, to your point though, like the, the pitch of minimum wage superheroes, it's, it's not misleading in the sense that you, your brain forms what they think that means. Mm-hmm. But then when you read it, you go, oh, okay. I see where the minimum wage superheroes comes into place. They earn minimum yeah. wage. 
they're superheroes. So it wasn't misleading. It was just, I let you develop what you want based off of that sentence in your mind. And then once you start reading the book, you, you know, you get it or whatever. It's way catchier than minimum wage workers by day, superheroes by night, which was your old pitch. Like I stood next to you while you've done it. Right. And minimum Mm -hmm. wage superheroes is just cleaner. It sounds better. And it's and it hits harder. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that was my first thing. We kind of meandered our way to a point, but it was kind of interesting. So what about you, man? What was your first thing? I would say the most important thing that I did this week was I went to Paradise Hills itself and I took reference photos like. When I developed this story, when I did all the thumbnails, I was basically mapping where these characters live, and it's close to where I used to live when I was younger, Um, and I mapped out the direction he was going in the story. So I actually did it in reverse, and I I took my girlfriend with me, and I was just like, oh, you know, you can see where I lived, like I'll show you, or where I used to live, and where all the, uh, you know, the sites are, or whatever, that I'm talking about this in the story, so... We went through, we took pictures of like Tuma Park. Um, um, I used to live on Alsatia Street. And so like there's just these specific spots in Paradise Hills that I'm referencing in these stories. So um, I went and I took photos of those those places. And um, it was fun, man. It was real fun to do. And that actually kind of got me back on track because before that, I was kind of running into a brick wall as far as these pages go. So after I had all the thumbnails laid out and I had started doing some work on those thumbnails, which would project me forward, you know, it's just like, okay, let me go on this page. I know I have a little bit more work done here. I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't in the right headspace to do the pages for whatever reason. And um, I started working on other things just to keep myself busy to make sure I'm getting stuff done and not just, you know, sitting on my thumb. And doing these pages or or going and taking these photos unlocked something and I was in a background mood. And like, if you guys have been listening to the pod for any length of time, you know, I hate drawing the backgrounds. Like they're the most boring part of the project for me, like of making a comic book. So I was in a rare headspace where I was like, Hey, I actually want to just do these backgrounds and then I'll add the characters in later because, Hey, I have my photo reference that I need. Um, you know, it's going to be accurate to the location. And I think I'm going to try a different style. Like if you pick up second shift, everything is pretty nice and tight as far as the backgrounds go. A lot of straight lines and, and all of that. Look, Everything looks, you know, pretty nice, but pretty clean. Um, with this, I actually wanted to try more of a, a anime or manga influence on the backgrounds where it's just a lot of freehand and there's a wobble there. You know, it's not you're not getting completely straight lines. You know, it's like they're all hand done and it's not precision. It's just like you can feel the hand in the background. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice kind of like balance because the characters themselves they fall more in the realm of second shift, the way I draw characters, like somewhere between second shift and wanderers. And um, I mean, the more that I work, both of those styles are becoming closer to being one. And so the characters in this short story follow that model. So the only thing that's different is the backgrounds. You just have more of that free form element to it. And um, I really like it. I've done two backgrounds so far. And there were pretty big ones. I think there's like five panels that have giant backgrounds or a lot of a lot of stuff going on them. So two out of the five most complicated backgrounds are da- uh, done. And so that's a huge thing for me. And so I'm so glad I went to the locations, took those photos, and it helped me get back on track for sure. Hell yeah, man. That's that's cool. Um, I, I can't remember 
how much I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I think you're well aware that my first novel takes place in a very interesting location. And uh, I went there. So mm-hmm. uh, I started the novel in 2018, I think, the beginning of 2018. And by the time late 2019 rolled around, I had an interest in visiting the location. And one thing led to another, and I booked a trip there. And I went there um, with my wife and and a couple of our friends. And it was amazing. And uh, that, I was there for a day. That day was unbelievable in terms of how valuable it was. It was so valuable to go to this place. It, 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 it propelled me through the rest of the novel because now I knew the town. I knew, I knew which way to turn to go somewhere. I knew, you know, all these little minutiae things. And the fascinating thing was when I did my first workshop after it where I had written some stuff in there, they were like, it is obvious you went to this town. Like, wow, did, wow, did this place level up? in terms of you going there. So I think that's so dope that you went there. Um, I believe I've mentioned to you offline that my my brand new and improved second novel uh, takes takes place somewhere and I'm going to go there and that's going to be fun. Um, and and it's it's my childhood home um, in a lot of, you know, so I'm, I'm going to go there and that's going to be a good time. But um, anyway, so that was thing number one. I think it's so cool and I can, you know, the energy you got from going there is amazing, right? Like that's how cool it is. Yeah, um, but it I just wanted- completely got yeah. me out of that artist block, and it was much needed because man, I hate feeling that way. You know, it's just yeah, something about it, like just going like, yeah, I just don't feel like working on this. This is a story that I've been champing at the bit to work on for months. Yeah. You know, if not over a year. And like the fact that I finally get to start working on it, and I start working, and I'm like, oh yeah, I just don't feel like working on this. It's like what. Mm-hmm. You've been working to work on this for over a year. What's your problem? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like the anticipation for it has been building and building. And when you get the chance, it's just like your, you know, your mind's like, no, we're going to do other things right now. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a, and I'll get to that on my next thing, the thing I was doing uh, in the meantime. Okay. But you mentioned, so you did mention an important thing there. You, you were referring to, I believe, some drawing and you said there's a wobble there, right? Mm-hmm. Scott, you are half Filipino. You mentioned wobble. What's your go-to line dance? I don't. I can't dance, bro. You don't line dance? No. Line? Really? No way. No, no way. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. No. I. I am so. I can't. I can't keep my family off the dance floor. Oh, most Filipinos have the gift of dance, but uh, for some reason, I did not get that. Uh, really? Yeah. Get it's the hell it's out funny of here. because. Yeah, I think two of my siblings can dance, uh, uh, me and one other of my siblings, and then the other two can. So mm. it was just like kind of the luck of the draw, and I didn't get that. about that shit? Okay. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I will let you know that your co-host can fuck it up on a dance floor, my friend. I love the nightlife. To go back to I like it, to you were, you were talking about the electric slide, right? I was talking about the wobble, which is a line dance. That's not my go-to line dance, though. Oh, okay. Um, What's the wobble? I can, I, it's it's one of the like there there tends to be this cluster of line dances that happen and if someone has unlimited time then there will be the electric slide which uh-huh. will sometimes so generally it's electric slide it's wobble and it's the cupid shuffle yeah and then and then of course there's the modern update which is the uh, cha-cha slide 
Okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. Keith's Keith's power rankings for that in order of enjoyment are number one. Actually, can I go number three? Number three, the Cupid Shuffle. I don't like the wobble. I don't do the wobble. I actually go off the dance floor for the wobble. But the Cupid Shuffle is very easy and very fun. And oh, it yeah. doesn't take long to pick that, that bad boy. That one I know. That one I yeah. know, but it's very basic. Yeah, Cupid Shuffle is basic. That's why I like it. Electric Slide is my number two. It is also very basic, um, but it's a good time, right? And, you know, generally I'm probably dancing uh, to that when I've had, you know, not just one beer, several. And so you bet that I'm in the mood to go cut a rug. You know what I'm saying? Um, but by far, the, the, the thing that will make me run in to the party if I am outside is the cha-cha slide. I love the cha-cha slide. It's like God's gift to the world, the cha-cha slide. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, I digress. I, I digress. Everybody clap your hands. Yeah, like everybody knows those, those ones. They're, they're fun. It's a, it's a good time, but I'm, I'm so uncoordinated that it's like I feel like, yeah, I'm fucking this up still, which is so weird. All right. Anyway, uh, so that, that gets us to our number two thing. Um, uh, my, my number two thing is that I have started again to write this second novel. And uh, so uh, the last couple days, I've been cranking out 500 words a day. And as predicted, it comes fast. That's the best part about it. Like, I'm, I'm able said. to knock this out. <laughs> too easy. Too easy. I'm, I'm, throwing, I'm throwing lobs for you. Um, and it was, it, it's fun to write. But, but again, I'm, I just wanted to mention that I'm writing it. I'm getting into it. Today was actually the day where it started to get a cool life on its own. You know, there's this adage that, that says, so you have an idea for a novel. That's getting you your first 20 pages. My idea for the novel got me two. It got me two. Oh, crap. And, and, and then, and then I, I kind of knocked through it a little bit. But today... And, and I'm only still like, you know, let's go with like, you know, eight pages into the novel or something like that. Today was the day where all of a sudden it was like, yeah, it, it was starting to come alive. Like the characters were starting to come alive because I'm, I'm starting to escape that initial premise. And now I got to write the goddamn thing. And that's what's so fun about it. Like it was really fun to write today. Today was the most fun I've had writing around it. And um, what's fascinating, again, I mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. This is so by the seat of my pants. This is so by the seat of my pants. Because everything I've done, Kadoja, Three Protectors, my first novel, even animals to some extent, but you know, situations have made me change the way that I write animals. Everything has always been heavily plotted and heavily planned. This one, it's the reverse. You know, it's it's taking this idea that Stephen King talks about in On Writing that the way he writes, the way he writes is he thinks of a character and he thinks through a character and then he thinks of an interesting situation and he puts that character in that situation and then he writes. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then he just continues to go from there because actions create consequences, consequences, which, hey, hey, now the beer is the beer is flying. The beer is going through. So I'm starting to already flub words. But actions create consequences, which create further actions, and the ball keeps rolling downhill. And um, it's so alien to me, dude, but it's fun. And it's, in a lot of ways, it's it's making it feel like a first novel. It's making it have that first novel feeling because it is such a different way to approach doing work. And because I like trying to take these things and 
make them something that people listening right now could possibly take take with them. It's don't be afraid to switch up the way you work entirely. Give it a shot and see how it goes. Give it a shot for a couple of days. You got to stick with it because if you give it a shot for one day, you might be like, fuck this, man. This isn't how I work. But if you give it a few, you might find that it just opens up your brain to a brand new way of thinking. And all of a sudden, you are just as engaged with doing this creative work as you were when you first fell in love with doing creative work. And so it's a cool place to be. I I'm, I just looked at my task list for tomorrow before we recorded and I saw like the 500 words of the novel and I was like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to do that. And I saw all these other things. I'm like, meh. <laughs> Those things are getting in the way of me writing the novel. Like now I want to write the novel. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens tomorrow because this is the first time I've ever written anything where I write and then I get to a stopping point and then I go to bed and the last thing I'm thinking in my head is, but what do I do tomorrow? What happens tomorrow? How can I continue this story tomorrow? So it's super fun and it's working for me. And again, it, it might just be an exercise to people out there if they want to take it. But changing up the way you work, especially if you've done it this way for, in my case, a decade, boy, does it make things feel fresh. Yeah, that's that was my process for Paradise Hills. Um, I just did the study on the characters. I was doing research, getting kind of like the groundwork down first as to who these people are and their location and kind of just uh, writing stuff out in the character's voice. And a lot of that stuff actually made it into the first draft of the story. And it made it a lot easier to move forward because it's like, okay, I got the character's voice down. I know what he sounds like. You know, I know I know what he likes, that type of thing. And so just putting him in different scenarios was very easy. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, he's dealing with this family member. Does he like this family member? Does he not? What's their relationship like? Okay. And then so you just kind of know how he's going to react to situations and things that are said. And um, it moves the character forward. And um, like you said, it's just like, okay, get to know the character, have the situation that you want, and then throw them in there, and you know how they're going to react in those situations. So it indeed yeah. is a very fun way to work. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, so how about you, man? Uh, thing number two. Okay, so thing number two is um, I heard back from Mike Perkins regarding Second Shift 13. Um, he gave it the once over. He gave me um, a bunch of notes, and... Um, it's interesting because when me and Ed had finished this book, we were like, I wonder how much he's going to come back with because we read it over, I think, three or four times a piece. And we're like, this is really tight. Like, we don't see any issues. Like, uh, questions that he had in previous issues, we answer- we made sure there were, were nothing like that in this this issue. We're like, let's make sure there's no way he can ask these questions because we'll have that information in there. And mm-hmm. just that alone makes for a nice tighter script. You're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, we, we've potentially, uh, blocked any errors that we could have made and we've answered those questions that might be coming. So let's see what he says. He had so many notes and I was like, it was kind of disheartening, you know, it's just like, what the fuck? Why is there so many notes? Like mm-hmm. we went over this thing with a fine tooth comb and, some of them were like, oh, fuck, okay, I see what he's saying there. I'm like, okay, I see what he's saying there. Oh, we missed that. You know, it was just like, oh, you know, you have the asterisks like, oh, what does this mean? We didn't have mm-hmm. the box. So there there were a couple of things like that. And we're like, okay, let me fix that. Let me fix that. Oh, I see what he's saying here. You know, like, 
oh, these characters are talking about someone, but no one says their name. They're just saying he, him, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. Let me fix that. No problem. I'll throw throw John's name in there. No problem. That's fixed. But then there were some that were just confusing to us. We were like, there's a page where there's a character. Um, one of the characters uh, is in a room. And in the first panel, this one character is talking about him, says his name. And in the fourth panel, another character is talking about him, says his name. And Mike's Mike's note was, who's that guy in panel three? And I was like, what the fuck, man? The first panel, they're they're trying to call him on the phone. They use his name. And then mm-hmm. it, shows his, it shows a close-up of a phone. Then it shows him. And then panel four, one person's calling the guy, says it by name, uh, shows the phone. The guy's out of the room now. Who do you think it mm-hmm. is? You know, so it was one of those things like, hey, man, you're the editor. You should kind of put this shit together. Like, it's kind of simple. And so mm-hmm. I asked him about it. And, um, you know, one thing one thing that you let me know about Mike is he's very blunt. He's very forward. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mean anything by it. That's just how he is. Yep. And I was like, right on. Okay. Well, it, that's a good note to have when you're dealing with particular people, editors mm-hmm. or whatever. Because let me tell you guys out there. As creators, you're probably not going to always get along with your editor. So yeah. some of the, some of the notes, you're just like, "What the fuck, dude?" Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's as clear as day, as clear as his name written in the first bubble in the fourth bubble. Mm-hmm. And uh, his response to it was, "I just wanted to make sure." He goes, "I I put myself in the place of someone who has never read this book." Yep. And this is an instance where you go, "This is like Kadoja Volume Three. You can't just pick up Kadoja Volume Three. You need mm-hmm. you need to read at least volume two. You don't necessarily need to read one. And uh, so my response to him was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing there. I was like, this is not a quote unquote jumping on point. This is in the middle mm-hmm. of the story. It's it's the yeah. beginning of a new story arc, but this is not a jumping jumping on point. Like we're on issue 13 here. We're building to something. All of these characters are going to be involved in a story. So it's just kind of like, okay, like the tension of getting those notes and being like frustrated was relieved mm-hmm. by him responding, going like, oh, but this is why I did it this way. And she's like, totally. okay, I understand. So, like, the big takeaway from this is artists, writers, you can be frustrated with your editor. That's kind of a package deal. That's just kind of how mm-hmm. it is. But right. they're also there to help you, and you guys just need to communicate to understand each other better. And then you could totally. be on the same page. Because, like, me and Ed were powwowing it afterwards. Like, I, I forwarded it to Ed. I was like, hey, man. He's got a lot of notes. He goes, what? And so he reads it. And I was like, did you read it? He goes, dude, yeah, I've been sitting with it for like like 30 minutes. And I was like, give me a call. And then I was like, I already responded. I sent him, you know, all of my responses. And, you know, he's a forward person. So I responded forwardly. You know, I wasn't rude or anything, but I responded in kind. And then, um, you know, even to start off the, the email, I was like, hey, thank you for the notes. Truly appreciate your time. Half of them completely a spot on made the corrections made the adjustments no problems there were some however where i have questions like mm-hmm. um you know i felt the answers were already on the page but you seem to have not known what was going on so let's just go but one by one right mm-hmm. so we went down the line and we did hey these are all correct or whatever cool cool i adjusted these i fixed this blah 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 and then so yeah uh, he responded the way he did and i was like okay well we're all on the same page then now we mm-hmm. understand what he was saying and now he understands what we were saying and everything's all good and the adjustments have been made yeah i mean before i forget this point i want to mention 
that something, uh, <laughs> if I had stopped time when you said Ed and I were so convinced that it was airtight, I knew something was going to get found. Okay. I oh, knew yeah, something was going to get found because, <laughs> because this is how workshops always work. You obsess, like when I've, you know, in years, like we're almost going on five years here, probably even, yeah, we are. I'm five years into workshops, okay? The workshops, like historically, the workshops where I have gone in going, yeah, like whatever happens, happens. Those tend to be the ones that are best received where people come back and they're like, I love this. I love that. And you're like, holy shit, you did. You know, like I didn't have much confidence in that. It's almost like the response is inversely proportional to your degree of confidence going into the workshop. Because the ones where I've been like, oh, man, this is airtight. They're not going to have any notes. Nope. Nope. They had tons of notes. And it always tends to be on the shit you're not focusing on. So, you know, you may have thought like you're right. In that the couple things you were focusing on were were airtight, except you forgot these other things, and you didn't think of this, and you didn't think of that, and you didn't think of that, and you're like, holy fuck, man, that sort of hit me from the side, it, you know, like a T-bone collision, right? But that's always the way it works, man. Part of that is just, with any editor, it's cool that you're getting that comfort level. You know, again, I've been, I have a head start on you with Mike. In fact, um, we can sort of leak my third thing, which is Mike gave me notes. Ah. I got I got them back on Three Protectors Volume Two, and um, and just like you, with, before I get to my main point from that, um, just like you, I had some spots where he was like, "What's going on here? What's going on there?" I know from history that you know we tend to chat with each other via Google Docs, so he'll put the note in, and then I can put like, "This is why this is here." And, and many times he'll be like, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's it. So it's it's like he's water testing it. He's water testing it, right? Okay. Yeah, there was, there was a, a few of those. And, you know, it, it was helpful just talking to you about it, like, based off of our previous um, review from him regarding some of the other books. And you, you prepped me. You're like, yeah, like, I know you guys are being respectful and not pushing back on stuff, but it's okay. Like Mike can take, mm-hmm. it. you can, you can push back and he'll go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Or he goes, well, let me tell you why that doesn't make sense. And exactly. And exactly. that's the dialogue that you as a creator need to have with your editor, you know, yep. and, and just, just the overall, like me and Ed thinking, Hey, this is, this is airtight. There's nothing wrong here. And then you get those fresh set of eyes, you know, same as your workshops, you know, same as dealing with any editors or someone just reading your stuff for the first time, mm-hmm. they're going to have questions. Um, and you've been so focused on certain things that sometimes you'll miss a couple of those things. And, you know, I really do try to put myself in the headspace of each part of the creation of the book. So, you know, there's me working on the art, there's me working on the lettering, there's me working on the flats, you know, like, there's just different aspects of the book that I help create, you know, this, the special effects, all of those things. So every time I'm doing that particular job, I'm really trying to focus on that particular job. So there are no misses. But unfortunately, there was there was a couple. And it was like, mm-hmm. cool, I can tighten that up. Or, you know, there was just a question about art. And so like all of those small things, they were very small. You know, but you look at you look at the the sheet of notes that you get back and you're expecting no notes, 
you know, mm-hmm. and then you get a sheet of notes and it's very jarring. So, but once you go one by one, you're like, that's an easy fix. That's an easy fix. That's an easy fix. So yeah. most of them are done. There's like one thing that I kind of want to work on just a little bit of a movement thing in one panel. But beyond that, I think we're good to go on issue 13. Yeah. Did I tell you that when I, uh, I think, I think we were so jam packed with goodness last episode that I didn't mention that I had gone. I think I casually offhandedly mentioned that I went to a death metal show the night before. And one of the bands that I saw was, in fact, The Wind Beneath My Wings, my band of 2022, Undeath. And uh, and something I thought was hilarious was that before their last song, the lead singer of Undeath addressed the crowd and he says, I have no notes. You guys are the shit. But for this next song, which is our last song, in that pit out there, I want to see some goofy shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I love the fact that the way he addressed the crowd was, I have no notes, right? And yeah. uh, so I, I think that's what we all want, right? We all strive for the I have to have no notes. But guess what? If you're working with an editor, they're here to have notes. Yeah. There, there's the, If you're working with an editor because you hired them or because you go through them and, and you get that value through whatever publisher you work for or whatever agent you work for, you're getting notes, brother. You know, now the good news is those notes become the platform for you to have a dialogue. And you get to have a dialogue. You get to go back and say, you get to defend yourself. You say, no, here's why this is here and here's what I think. And then they have the right to say either, yeah, I'm cool or, ah, but you didn't quite think this through, did you? And then the dialogue continues, right? So um, so let's let's turn this into, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the last the last thing on that is, your editor is not your teacher. So that's mm-hmm. that's something that uh, Ed and I, like we're both former pro wrestlers. And so when you're training in like someone that is above you, as far as like they've been wrestling longer, something like some kind of vet or something like that, right? Like you're your instructor, your former instructor. Um, you, you shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You hear what they have to say. You say thank you, and that's it. That's all your. So, like, I think our first encounter with Mike was that it was just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, hey, he's he's the sensei here. He's telling us what's up. But then, uh, yep. you know, after speaking to you, it goes, no, you're allowed. You're allowed to clap back. You're allowed to defend yourself. You're not there just to be a punching bag. And mm-hmm. you guys can have that dialogue, and that was really helpful. Yeah, I mean, let's let's go back to this. Look, I think it's pretty clear that that this is now going to become the main topic, right? I think we can make dealing with an editor the main topic because we still have a couple things to go, right? But I want to come back to this infamous No Vaseline review that I got now two years ago. Okay, two years ago I got this. One of the reasons that I chose to not work with that person anymore is because I didn't want to please that person. Right. Like it's not your reader. It's not your vision. And you get to make that decision and you're going to know once you talk to them. I mean, again, I I don't. um, What is it? Dis discredit discount the notes that he gave me because he gave me some really killer notes. But he also gave me some notes that were, you know, to quote the lead singer of Undeath, some goofy shit. And it, it didn't quite work. So I have the right to then not work with that editor because I don't think we're going to work well together. Um, so anyway, so again, this this all comes back to you and and who you feel comfortable working with. But just know that like if you're hiring editors or you're working with editors, they're not here to make you comfortable. They're here to make you a little uncomfortable. And, and then you start from there. Um, so, hey, let's let's just parlay 
your second thing into my third thing, which is I got notes back from Mike on Three Protectors Volume 2. Now, one caveat to this, he gave me a note which was a function of the shitty, shitty, shitty compile function in Scrivener. I used Scrivener to make this uh, comic script and I should have just typed the fucking thing in Word because it created these dumb tags at the end of every scene and then Mike was like what is this what's that what's this what's this and it's like it was just this nonsense that it would do it would be like K Foster 3 Protectors 46 K Foster 3 Protectors 47 blank space and then it would have this long thing it was just this really (laughs) fucked up it was this really fucked up script so number one when I send him the version 2 of this script I'm just going to drop it into word and tweak everything right and unfortunately because for some reason somehow palpatine returned somehow it truncated the whole third part of my fucking story so the story you know like i i kind of have it in three parts part one is all script because i haven't had the artist draw those pages yet part two is is pages that i am you know putting my script to and then part three is more script well, for some reason, the fucking compile stopped at the end of part two. So Mike's like, this ending leaves me cold. You can't just leave on a page of text. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I'm like, fuck, man. There was like tw- 10 more pages of story. There was really killer shit. So I even told him that. I was like, thanks for the notes, man. They're great. Just to, just so you know, the ending's way better than this, right? You may have <laughs> issues with the ending, but you're not going to have these issues because it actually ends on a pretty cool note that I'm proud of. So what I told him is, I'm going to write your notes from the first two parts of the script because you only got the first two parts of the script and you'll get a version two. And he was like, cool, I'm looking forward to it. But what I wanted to mention, so number one, um, his notes were, were killer. Again, there are some things where it's like, no, Mike, this is what I think, blah, blah, blah. And I expect him to be like, okay, got it. But there are some notes where he's going to, he's encouraging me to like, just cut this, cut that, cut that. Because what I had was redundancies within the script and I don't need them. So I can just cut those fucking things. So that's always good. That was the one big takeaway I, I had, which is. You know, you have these redundancies, and I think this is very natural for people writing comics, right? I I don't know how natural it is for people drawing comics because unless you're writing, you you know, you're going to figure out a... So let's say you're just an artist, okay? You're you're just doing the artistic piece. Boy, are you going to figure out if your writer has redundancies quick because you're going to be like, um, you're asking me to draw the same fucking thing? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? If you're an auteur and you're doing both things then you're probably going to streamline that out in the natural cause. You might start drawing it and be like, wait a minute, you know, again, to use to use good friend of the podcast, Gary Hodges, wait a minute, writer Gary, you're a little redundant there. So artist Gary is going to just cut that page because it doesn't add a goddamn thing. So when you're a do-it-all person, you're going to be able to edit that out. Um, but what I found here is that I'm able to edit some stuff out and that's helpful because it might cut a page down or two before yeah, I even have to hire the artist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to mention was Mike gave me this note and I wanted to share it because it's, it's fun and I think it can apply to other things. I just thought this note was so clever, right? So I'm not even going to set up what the note comes from because it speaks for itself. He says, be careful during the sequence. I assume you're trying to add in things so you can use the old art. 
but you're getting real close to movies that add in the voiceover because they realize they didn't do a good enough job with the visual storytelling. I just don't want this to devolve into the character speaking or voiceovering their motivations slash needs right before it happens. Dig? I just think that note is so killer. Now, keep in mind, because of the fucked up truncated feature, he didn't even have the opportunity to see the page that this goes with. And so one of the things I'm going to do when I do version two is I'm just going to letter it. Right. Because the problem was I was trying to include these pieces of art and then have the the text below it. Uh But what I'm going to do is for part one, it's going to be script for part two. I'm going to letter the pages and just give them to him. And for part three, it's going to be script. It's a little more work for me, but it's going to make things so much more clear. And he's going to be able to see that. Yeah, that's what I did with him. Um, I was Mm -hmm. I think it was I had some time in between Second Shift 13 and Paradise Hills. So I was just like, oh, I have time to letter. I think I had over a week. So I was doing five pages a day, essentially. And I was like, oh, this will work because I can hand this over to Ed and to Mike and to go like, hey, check this out. See, you know, see what's up. Like, make sure mm-hmm. it work, reads well and all of that. And that's how me and Ed were able to go back and forth and why we also thought it was, you know, airtight. Um, so that's what I did give Mike. It was uh, one of those things where it's like, okay, I have the flats. I don't have the colored pages yet. Joaquin is starting this week, I believe. Like, that's what he told me. And um, so I just gave him the flats. And it's funny enough, Mike, one of Mike's notes was, hey, is this colored? Because uh, the colors seem a little flat to me. And I said, <laughs> actually, Mike, this is part of the process called flatting. Yeah. <laughs> so you worded exactly. it correctly. <laughs> and so, uh, but anyway, hey, Mike's a writer. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So did you have a third thing? I have a fourth thing because it was a pretty gonzo week. Yeah. Um, I have, I have two other things. Um, so yeah, I, last time we talked, I was flatting the cover from Mike Gustavich's cover, uh, for second shift 13, the, the variant. Yeah. I actually decided to redo the logo to have more of an eighties, nineties vibe. So it matches the art of, of Mike and uh, Gustavich. And so it feels like one piece. It feels like it goes together. And uh, I like it. It has this nice retro look to it. I kind of gave it some dressing. He used to work for Comico. Like he had his creator own book, um, Justice Machine over there. And I was like, oh, Comico, right on. Yeah, I remember that company. And I kind of liked the way it looked. So I kind of laid it out the same way. And I was just like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? You know, it's mm-hmm. a fun thing to do. So, um, yeah, that was my next thing. It it, it took a day, and uh, it's just fun. It's fun kind of creating those logos, logos, those headers, all that cover dressing uh, from scratch and just kind of making it its own thing. It's fun to play with it, with art, and understand what an alternate cover can do. You know, I think that's that's part of the fun of alternate covers is that you can – mess around a little bit. You can not include the logo. You can go mm-hmm. logerless. You can change the logo. You can do all this different stuff. So that's cool that you sort of explored that space and ended up with something uh, that you liked. So let's go to my fourth thing. Man, this is a rare week because both of us have four things. Um, and this is a short thing, but I wanted to mention that, you know, uh, as soon as I got three protectors back, I actually... I almost sent this to Mike a couple days before. And actually, hey, I can get out my uh, my checklist here and I can check off uh, Kadoja Volume 2, Number 3 because I oh, did yeah. finish it. I did finish it by the end of the month and uh, Kadoja Volume 4, Number 3, that is. And um, 
And so, yeah, I ended up finishing that and I ended up finishing short story number two, although I do just need to do a quick final edit or two for that to make sure that it's ready to send to like magazines and stuff, you know, like, so is it finished, finished? No, but it's damn close to finish 90% finished. So that's good enough for me. These are my rules and I'm playing by my. Yeah. And that's, that's like me. I still have shit to do with second shift 13. That's it's long been since checked off of my list, but Hey, when you have to go back and you have to do some adjustments, that's that's not what the list is for. The list is for exactly you finishing your script and me finishing the art, the lettering, and and uh, all of that shit. So once Hell that's yeah. done, it's like, hey, if someone points something out, so, uh, some, someone points something out, it's completely okay for you to go back and adjust that thing. Exactly. So because I don't like having two things out to Mike at once, I waited for him. I was lucky because I was just going to wait for him to give me back the notes to three protectors, number two. And then I was like, okay, I got the notes back. And then I fired him off the script to Kadoja volume four, number three. So Symphony of Madness, number three, number two, again, just funded on Kickstarter. I'm still working on like stuff like lettering and all on that. Maybe I'll talk about that in a future week. Maybe I won't. But uh, I did finish the script as I wanted and uh, sent that off to Mike. So now I can just, you know, go on with other things and wait for him to give me those notes back. I feel good about it. And I think the thing I wanted to mention specifically was that I think where we left this off was that I didn't feel I I didn't feel super good about it. I had written it and I was like, I don't know, man, I feel like it's missing something. And so what I had said to myself was that four days later, I was just going to let it age enough to get it out of my brain and then open it up fresh and read it again. And that's what I did. I waited. It may have been four days. It may have been six days. But I waited to open it up and read it fresh. And then when I did, I was like, oh, it was actually pretty good. Like, or at least it's it's as good as I can make it for now. I might have blind spots and Mike is here to find those blind spots. My editor is here to find those blind spots. So I was surprised that I felt as good as I did because I thought it was going to need a ton of work and it didn't need a super big amount of work, just some edits here and there. So we'll see what Mike says. Right on, man. Yeah, and that falls into place with what we were talking about was like a week or two was about uh, giving giving your work room to breathe. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what you did. Hey, we follow our own yeah. advice here on the pod. <laughs> hey, look at us. We're consistent in everything. <laughs> uh, so that. how about you, man? What was, what was your fourth and final thing? Uh, my last thing was I finished two toy designs. So... I had mentioned that I was hitting a bit of a wall with Paradise Hills, and I needed something to do. I couldn't just sit on my laurels. I needed to make sure something was getting done. And I have commission work and client work that has been backing up because I'm in I'm in such a headspace to try to finish these projects, these personal projects, that I'm pushing that cash to the side, which it's like... If you want to keep your clients happy, you, you kind of got to do that work. So um, mm. I made an effort. It's like, okay... Hey, this isn't working right now. What can I do? You know what? I can knock out these toy designs and um, get paid to do those. And then I can get back to work and maybe that artist block will have passed by then. So um, I was able to knock out a couple of designs and got a little payday. And so that was kind of nice, man. Hell yeah, man. To quote the Beastie Boys, like Lauren Green, you know you get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's always so good to get paid. I yeah, still have a yeah. couple of big commissions that um, I need to be doing, and they're just it's it's kind of daunting, man. Like you get these big projects, you're like, "Fuck, how long is that going to take me to draw?" And you yeah. just kind of leave it on the wayside, and and it's just like, dude, you're you're sitting on f- a few hundred dollars worth of uh, art there, buddy. Just just yeah. toughen up, finish it, and uh, you know get that payday. But uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully I'll yeah. do that this week. 
Yeah, man. All right. Well, hey, I we we spent a whole a whole hour on the things we did this week, so that was great, and we actually yeah. even managed to turn that into the main topic. So uh, it's great because that's something we didn't even talk about, and it's something we haven't had as a main subject on the pod before. And I think that's mm-hmm. great information for you guys to have. You know, just knowing that number one, get yourself an editor. Uh, it's absolutely helpful. They will mm-hmm. point out things that you do not see. And, uh, you know, maybe point out things you did see and you decided you weren't going to do anything about it. And they'll point out, hey, I noticed that thing. Did you? And you can go back there and you could fix it. And it's all about getting better. You know, like having these other people check out the book. These are all additives to your project. You want your project as tight as possible. And uh, that way, when fans read it, they can just be completely happy and not have a bunch of questions as to what the hell's going on in this thing. So we hope you guys enjoyed that part of the pod. Keith, you got any bullshit? I feel like we do. I feel like we do. I just got to figure out what the hell it is. I, I do want to mention that boy, boy is the power rating of 12 ounces of bourbon County brand (laughs) stout. Just, it's like perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like it's perfect. Um, I've been on, I had a beer last night, but I did take a night or two off from beer because I went ham on beer at this dinner on Sunday night. And it was just like, dude, it was like a cheap beer or, or like a low alcohol beer it was like Sapporo, but it was like pictures and pictures of it. And, and only me and two other people at the dinner were drinking beer. Everybody else was like drinking wine. And I thought I was done. And then this other picture shows up and it was like, Keith, you know, you're going to help us out with this picture. And I'm like, I mean, I have to, right? I'm like twisting my arm here. Exactly. Guess who's driving home? My wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so anyway, so yeah, I, I did need a little bit of like a day, day and a half off there, you know, two days off. Well, a day off basically where I just didn't do anything. And then by, you know, whenever it was, I was ready to go again. Um, but I do want to mention, I, I can't remember if this happened before, uh, if I mentioned this before, Scott, but the comic that you uh, that you baited me you did into not buying this yet yeah the comic that you that you just bullied me you basically bullied <laughs> me into buying uh, avengers number 25 with a, a absolutely a, a killer a killer cover um if you don't if you're not aware of the cover on avengers 25 why don't you go take a look at it it says enter doctor doom it's it's a semi iconic cover it's gorgeous and i'm happy to see it here and uh it, again what we talked about before was that I think when I had bought it and it has this split line down the middle because that used to be probably a subscription book way back in the 60s. But boy, does it look better than that up close. You know, like the camera really brings out that line. But in reality, yeah, it's not so bad. So uh, yeah. it's beautiful and uh, it's not slabbed or anything, but I'm happy to have it. And I'll probably put it in like a nice fancy top loader, at least to keep it uh, high and dry. And yeah, so man. that's my first thing, man. You you go, and then I'll think of some more bullshit from there, I think. Yeah, that book looks great, man. Yeah, and that, that price point that you got it at, that's hard to beat, especially for that low yeah. of a number for Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. It's funny because after I sent it to you, I was like, damn, I almost want to buy this thing myself. But I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, Doctor Doom's not my guy. It's just yeah. it's just one of those things where if you're a collector, you know a deal, a deal when you see it. And I totally. was like, that's a really good fucking deal. And yeah. so it was kind of like my eBay fingers were twitching. And it's just like, no, no, no. Just send it to Keith. This isn't yeah. for you. <laughs> that way, and hey, he'll probably get it, and then you won't even have to deal with it. But yeah, man, I mean, yeah. it's arbitrage, right? Like, it's just finding market value, and we're all addicted to market value. That's what 
that's what led me to that copy of Fantastic 449 that you ended up not buying, which led you to a book you ended up getting, right? It was just market value. This looks mm-hmm. like it has value, and therefore, I feel like I should jump on it. Yeah, absolutely. Did you uh, did you watch uh, sports today? Do you know about your team? Did your team win or lose? I don't know either way. I mean, I know, I know the Sixers okay. played. I don't know what happened. Okay. Well, Ed but Jackson, I didn't tape it. You can spoil it for me. Okay, you didn't tape it. Okay, yeah, Phillies won yeah. and uh, Philly won and uh, uh, the Lakers won. So really Fuck happy yeah. about that. The shitty part is it's just it just feels inevitable that we're going to be in the play-in tournament uh, if that because LeBron got hurt exactly. Yeah, and yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I, that's a bummer, right? Like I read a big article about how like this this big Lakers renaissance kind of got stopped in its infancy mm-hmm. um because LeBron got hurt and and you know what though I, I don't know man I'm gonna I'm gonna zag because you know I am a big fan of zagging when other people zig I think the Lakers are gonna go on a little run here I think AD is gonna ball out and I think that this team is actually gonna go on a little bit of a mini run over the next two weeks and we'll know whether that's so. right, because by the time this airs, I'll either be right or wrong. And LeBron <laughs> will hopefully be close to coming back. But, like, you know, I'm sticking by my initial thing. Like, I think this Lakers team has some really good talent. I think the more time that goes by, I feel that this was a real masterstroke of a trade deadline by them. It was. Um, I, th- I think it was, you know, like, it was acknowledged as quite good at the time. But I think it's even better than that. Oh, that means you beat OKC. That's who you we played did. tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no, that's a big win. no SGA though. So yeah, oh, the, I, I I wonder if OKC is going in the tank. I every, I, I actually wonder I if OKC the... is like, I, I get the feeling OKC is like, oh shit, we're really good. We need to fuck that up because we want to just be in this lottery. <laughs> SGA, you sit out this game. What? Why? Yeah. just just sit down. Hey, um, and, and he sat out three in a row now. Like they haven't. He hasn't played since the All Star game. Oh, interesting. Is he hurt? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, like, that's the only know. reason why he'd be sitting out, I'd imagine. You tell yeah. me, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, every time I checked the score, the it was either tied or the Lakers were losing by, like, two or three. So it, was, it seemed like it was a back-and-forth game the whole time. And um, I had a little bit of time before we got started on the pod. And I was like, should I just start watching it until Keith is ready? And I was like, no, fuck that. Let me just draw and... I don't even watch this. Like I have just, mm-hmm. I have the worst feeling about this. I watched the majority of the game yesterday because they were on back to backs. I think. I think this is a back to back. Yeah, it is. And and uh, I was like, no, they're they're going to stink it up. I'm. Uh, Ad was said to not be playing tonight, so I was just like, no, fuck this. I don't. I don't want to watch them. This is going to be a losing effort. So I'm glad that they won. Uh, but yeah, I think that's my only bullshit is basketball. Uh, me being mm. disappointed. LeBron is out. And I feel like he's been hurt ever since he broke the scoring record. And ever since then, he's kind of been limping through games. And even the game where he hurt his foot, he ended up playing the whole rest of the quarter. And I was like, take him out, take him out. They left him Mm -hmm. in, we won the game, but, you know, at what expense? I mean, for the first 16 years of LeBron's career, we all thought he was like a cyborg. Or maybe not a cyborg, like cyborg. We, I actually, I think, I think he should get cast as Cyborg in a Teen <laughs> Titans movie, right? The motherfucker is 6'9". He looks like a robot. He is a... I'm not even sure he's human, you know? Like, he's bonkers. Mm-hmm. 
And and I think the fact that he started to get hurt right around the time he came to the Lakers, which I think it was is fair to expect. I mean, you got a title out of LeBron. Yeah, that's totally. amazing. You know, that's, um, that's the thing. But I mean, is like, I he's would not never a say. I would say him coming here was not a mistake. It's it, what we gave up to get AD was not a mistake. Um, granted, it kind of screws us out of the Wimbayana sweepstakes for this this year because we have a pick swap with the Pelicans. So even if we shit the bed and we were no good and we ended up in the lottery and got him, it would go to the Pelicans. Um, right. But the thing is, we got a title out of it. If you ever exactly. make a trade, you get the best player in that trade and you get a title out of it, you won the thing. So no matter... You get a title. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like if we stink for three to four more years after, okay, it's it's the price to pay for that title. That's just how you yeah, kind of look at it. Yeah, I mean, as an Eagles fan, I've gotten both sides of that, right? Like in in 2017 slash 18, I'm just going to put on my little replica Super Bowl ring for this little video right there. Like you go all in, you get a title. Just recently, they came, you know, a bullshit call short of a title. Yeah, I'm an Eagles mm-hmm. fan. I said it. Um, and now you got to hope that you get back there. You know, the Eagles did not go all in for this title, but it's rough to be on the losing end of a championship like that. And yeah. uh, boy, you know, so so a title matters. Getting one title matters and uh, and and nobody ever regrets it. So no regrets, baby. You know, it's all good. But, yep, but we do okay. have one thing that we want to talk about. I think you said you wanted to talk about this. Didn't you want to talk about quantum mania? Oh yeah, we didn't, should yeah. we do the should we do the beer reviews first? I forgot we we're doing that. Oh, we'll do it after. We'll let's talk Quantum Mania first, then we'll do the beer reviews. Yeah, yeah. So I'll set this up a little bit. That that my kid had a she had a party, and it wasn't anywhere close to my house, and so I ended up dropping her off, and then I had four hours to kill. Now, four hours to kill wouldn't be that bad if I hadn't done my writing and my work for my day. But I had because it was over the weekend. So I'd already done my work. I'd already written for like two hours. And so what initially started as me just trying to find a local Barnes and Noble, I pull up to the Barnes and Noble and it happens to be in a parking lot that's shared with a movie theater. And I was like, am I really going to spend? Yeah, it was an Edwards. It's always Edwards. Barnes and Noble (laughs) is always right next to an Edwards cinema. No No joke. Yeah. No shit. No shit. Really weird. Yeah, that's crazy. So, um, and I was like, I don't think there's any way I even work an hour in a Barnes and Noble because I've done my work already. I've, you know, you reach diminishing returns. I had done everything I'd wanted to do. So I was like, you know, if it times out right, let's check out Wasp and Ant-Man Quantum Quantumania. It was 440 at the time. I go up to the ticket thing. There's a 450 and I'm like, <laughs> it's destiny, baby. Well, here so, we yeah. are. Yeah, I ended up. Yeah, I ended up watching uh, Wasp and Ant Man: Quantumania. Even better, it was one of those movie theaters. Maybe they all do these days, but like they had beer, and I was like, I will take a 19 ounce hazy IPA, thank you. <laughs> and then I cracked open a 19 ounce hazy IPA and watched uh, yeah. Wasp and Ant Man: Quantumania. Man, yeah, I I enjoyed the shit. Okay, so we should probably get to it. I fucking enjoyed it greatly. Like mm-hmm. the critics are kind of shitting on it. I think on Rotten Tomatoes it's like forty eight, but the fans are giving it eighty four. Man, man, did I like it! I had a really good time. I I don't know what all the hullabaloo is about on it not being that great. Yeah, after the movie ended, uh, I always watch watch movies with my best friend and my girlfriend. Um, and the first thing he said when the movie was over was. Did you know this is the second lowest rated movie only 
only above the Eternals. Yeah. And I was like, what? I was like, this yeah. movie was, it was fucking cool. It was a good time. Yeah. What, what is the problem here? So, uh, a spoilers alert if you guys haven't even stopped the tape already. But um, we're going to talk about the movie. So, if you're worried about it, you should probably fast forward. Um, yeah. So, I I loved the, um, I loved everything about the quantum verse that they went into. And the, mm-hmm. okay, so I here's one thing. Here's one thing. Okay, I have two nitpicks and they're they're totally nitpicks and I don't care. Like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I did not like Hope's haircut. I I was I was like this is a terrible haircut. I know it is comic accurate to Janet mm-hmm. Van Dyne. Like she's kind of the stand-in for Janet and Scott is the stand-in for uh Hank, right? Like mm-hmm. his younger versions. And so the first movie Janet has the bob which which or Hope had the bob which Janet had throughout the comics. Second movie she grew her hair out. I liked it. Just looked long. She just looked like Evangeline Lilly, right? And then the mm-hmm. third movie she has this this small the short pixie cut. And I was just like, it's just not working for me. And but mm-hmm. by the end of the movie, I was used to it. And then in the very last scene, she has like highlights or dyed blonde. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? You guys trying right. to drive me insane with this shit? So that w- that was nitpick number one. Um, nitpick number two is okay. I need to rewatch it, and you guys can correct me if you want. But from what I understand from watching the other Marvel movies is time moves differently in the quantum realm it moves very slow in the quantum world compared to the outside world right five years go by scott lang said it felt like five hours i was only gone Mm -hmm. five hours janet van dyne was gone for 30 years right or something like that 25 to 30 years that Mm -hmm. means she was in the quantum world for 25 to 30 hours Mm mm-hmm she had an affair with her on her husband because she had needs in 25 to 30 hours. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's just the inconsistency there, like with from the other movies to this movie. But again, it's a nitpick. I'm cool with them just going, whatever, let's just pretend she was in there longer than that. She was mm-hmm. in there enough to have this revolution, this time with um, Kang and build this bond and help him fix his time ship and all of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so it's just like you kind of go, all right, all right, like like let's let's forget these couple of things and uh just have a good time and that's what i did with it yeah 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 i mean i i wanted to i guess my only thing about it is that there was about a point at the hour 15 mark i think where i was like i think this is one of the best marvel films i've ever seen now from that point on it ended up getting kind of caught up in Marvel structure, right? Like, mm-hmm. we got to resolve the plot. We got to do this. We got to do that. So by the time I got to the end of the film, I didn't have such a strong feeling. But an hour 15 in, I just feel like it's worth mentioning that the actual line that went in my head is, this may be the best Star Wars movie since the original trilogy. Dude, there was so much Star Wars style stuff in there. I was like, oh, that yeah. sounds like it's right out of Star Wars, which I it does not a complaint. Yeah, not a complaint at all. Like, it was gonzo, right? Like, hey, drink, by the way. We mentioned Star Wars. We, I bet you didn't expect it here, motherfuckers. But we did it. You know, so... Uh, we gave so, you guys yeah, a few I, weeks off. 
Yeah, yeah, we gave you a few weeks off, but we're back, baby. So, yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. It just had that great, fantastical realm nature that Star Wars films have. And, yeah, man, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Uh, we we must mention that Jonathan Majors is just preposterously ah, good. He's so good. so good. I am so happy to have him as the the head villain for the next few years. I think he is going to go down as like the best Marvel villain. If you thought Thanos was good, I think Jonathan Majors is going to blow him away. Like he is the shit every time he was on like I actually tried to time my bathroom break so I did not miss Jonathan Majors on screen. You know, it's like do I think he's going to come on? No, I got to run. I'm I'm running right now. You know, like mm-hmm. that kind of shit, right? He was so good and I'm so happy that he's going to be around for quite a while in the MCU. Yeah, it's kind of like okay, we're in the transition from uh the first part to the second part there's a bit of a lull here run run to the bathroom they're just kind of settling in right now and uh you'll have some time yeah it's fun it's funny to time those things out ah shit man i think i had you can feel his shakespearean background man that's what's so maybe he doesn't have i mean i'm pretty sure he has a shakespearean background because it's all over his character he's amazing he doesn't it's i mean it's just oozing out of him you know yeah yeah killer killer so anyway yeah man i had i had a fucking great time and uh and yeah i really recommend it dude i had something and like i was like ah i need oh that's what it was okay all right it's not with the movie itself and oh it kind of isn't in a two to a degree now i'm wondering if a lot of people so i asked this openly on face or i said openly on facebook hey facebook hey i saw the movie it was great um i don't know what people are complaining about i liked it blah blah all of the comments, but one, everyone was agreeing with me. They're like, it was great. I don't see what people's problems is. I don't know why it's rated so mm-hmm. low. And then there was one guy, and eh, it was only okay. And uh, I was just like, hey, hey, to each their own. What, so what What about it? Why was it only okay? He goes, ah, it was cheesy. There was cringy. And, I, and uh, I was just like, tell me which scenes you're talking about. Like, I need to know what you're mm-hmm. talking about here. Like, And it was like the the couple with their dalliances the older couple you know where she like her and bill murray you know they're having oh, okay. that conversation and and mm-hmm. then uh, hank's like oh well and she goes i had i had needs hank and he goes well i had needs too and so that was the scene that that person found cringy and it's just like no that wasn't that's you like you yeah. feel that way but that's not what it was maybe you're uncomfortable with grown-ups talking about sex or or having affairs um but or not even affairs. They like, hey, Hank thought she was dead. Like, what is he going to do? Um, yeah. So, you know, that was a. He was the only person that that was complaining about the movie. Everyone else was good with it. And he goes, it was just okay. And I think part of the problem is they should not have called this phase four or phase five. They should have called it phase one because that's really what it is. You had phase one, two, and three, your original phase one and two and three. Those were all introductions to the characters building up to facing off with Thanos, against Thanos. Mm-hmm. They label this phase four. Everyone goes, okay, this is going to be bigger than Thanos. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, they're elevated. Okay, this is bigger than the Thanos thing. So then you get introductory movies again. You get Shang-Chi, you get Black Widow, which introduces her sister. Um, So you have, you get the Eternals. So you have these movies that are introducing you to characters that you didn't know before. This isn't phase four, this is phase one. 
of the story because mm-hmm. they're yeah. they're thinking it too much of a higher level than what we got with Infinity War and Endgame. And I think that was the misstep of Marvel. It's just like, no, you have to reset the story. That other story's done. We're starting a new story arc. So now everyone needs to come back down to Earth because we're no longer on Titan and uh, dealing with these ginormous you know, set scenes. It's like, no, we're not facing Thanos in space. This is us restarting everything. So everyone needs to kind of figure that out. So I think for a lot of it, like a lot of bad reviews, I think that's what the case is. Their mindset is in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I I can't disagree with that. I don't have any more thoughts either. So it's all good, man. Right Um, on, man. Well, hell yeah. We did it guys. Oh, so what about these beers then? Let's, let's, uh, Go ahead and rate these beers. Keith, you have the same beer that you got a few weeks ago, the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel. Is it still a 10, my friend? It's a 10. It was a 10 before. It's a 10 again. It was delightful. The buzz is delightful. I highly recommend it. 12 12 ounces of a 14 point something percent beer is just just goddamn fantastic. I will give. So to preface this, Keith Keith gave me a couple of beers um, right after our... Uh, creator's retreat we're emptying out the fridge and he goes hey take those beers uh, i got them on the discount i actually don't like them have at it cool mm-hmm. i like free beers and i've never tasted this one um you did not like it i like this better than the last two loggers i had it was really? a little bit better yeah it was a little bit better than the last two loggers that i had where because those just tasted like standard Coors banquet or something mm-hmm. like that you know what i mean like it was just yeah a Budweiser. That's what they tasted like. This this had a little bit of something to it. And um those other beers were uh I gave those a 5. Mhm. I will give this 5.75. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, not a huge jump. With the fucking decimals again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a huge I jump. Okay, I'll give it a 6. I'll give it a okay. 6. I'll go with okay. a 6. That's so not bad. It's, yeah, it's not a huge jump from the standard lager. But it's yeah. better than a standard lager, so yeah, right, it was man. it was worth a try, and hey, it was the right price, so I'm not going to complain. I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and I'm glad that I ended up giving them to you. So yeah, man, that's that's killer. I'm glad I'm glad they found a better home than here. So uh, very <laughs> very cool. Well, you have delicious stouts to choose from. Like my refrigerator is running low, so um, <laughs> I have one more beer that you gave me that I will probably have. I'm trying to think like, should I just hold on to this for a special occasion, or should I just have it on the pod? Yeah, I hear you. I I have one that I bought too that I I haven't decided. I almost pulled it out for the podcast, but I was like, I need something that hits harder than this, and it's a pretty hard hitter. But baby, I just did the hard hitter, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, nothing compared to this one. So maybe maybe I'll pull that for next week. Oh yeah. All right, that'll do it for this episode. You could find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. If you want to pick up my books, uh, Minimum Wage Superheroes, The Second Shift, uh, and Wanders of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, you can find that at AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah, for me, it's Keith underscore Invader. That is me on Instagram. That is my preferred social media of choice. 
I wouldn't suggest you follow me anywhere else because I probably don't give a shit. All I care about is Instagram <laughs> with Keith underscore Invader. That's me just doing stuff. Of course, if you are interested in my books, it is at, they are at KeithRFoster.com. I've got pages on three protectors. That is Kung Fu in Space and Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. There is a store on the Keith Foster site, so you can grab the books there. And of course, keep your eyes peeled, baby, because Animals is coming in June. We're going to be soliciting it in about a month in uh, Diamond Previews, and issue one is coming. And uh, once I think of a killer pitch on that, I'll have it. I still have a few weeks, because you don't know shit about it yet. You just know it's Animals, and it sounds cool, and it's a horror book. Oh, yeah. And if you want to write us anything that you heard on the podcast, you want us to talk about more or uh, questions, comments, concerns, whatever whatever you'd like, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Dude, are you, are you familiar? How much do you know about Fibonacci sequences? Oh, shit. That sounds very familiar. Uh, go yeah. ahead. I, I It okay. sounds familiar, familiar to me, so hopefully when you start talking, it'll all click in. So a Fibonacci sequence is this weird thing that seems to like explain life in a way, right? And so what a Fibonacci sequence is, is you start with the number, basically you start with the numbers, I think one and one, right? You just add one to one. So one plus one is two. So one is the first number of a Fibonacci sequence and two is the first number. Then all you do with each number is add the two previous numbers to get the next number. So two plus one is three. Three plus two is five. 5 plus 3 is 8. 8 plus 5 is 13. That's a Fibonacci sequence. And if you start to graph that, what you realize is it kind of looks like a snail shell, right? Like it tends to spiral. You can sort of spiral it around. And the strange thing about Fibonacci sequences is they explain so many elements of life in the universe, right? Like they, they seem to be this strange mathematical building block for life itself. And uh, I don't know if you were ever a fan. Were you ever a fan of Free Darko, that whole basketball blog that did all kinds of weird shit? No, I I never heard of that one. Free Darko is amazing. And they had one of my favorite things ever. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but that's what I do. Um, What they found, they, they found that Tim Duncan's career statistics more closely mirrored a Fibonacci sequence than anyone else's. <laughs> like Tim Tim Duncan's statistics were basically a Fibonacci sequence. It was fucking gonzo, right? But uh, but I say that because a Fibonacci sequence has all these numbers that are the building blocks of life. Well, were you paying attention? Because one of those numbers, three plus two, it's five, which means the building blocks of life are giving this podcast five fucking stars. Mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the iTunes podcast store and on Spotify podcasts. So just remember, like, lest you forget, we're a ways in here, okay? We're like an hour plus in. Five stars because we are the five-star motherfucking experience. So share that. <laughs> share it with your friends. Share it with everybody. Shout five stars to the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> what the five-star motherfucking experience. Yes. Oh, that'd be that'd be so great. That'd be so great. So anyway, just just remember that the mathematical building blocks of the universe are dictating to you that you need to give us five stars if you haven't already. And if you have, then thank you. If you haven't, hey, you know what to do. It's only gonna cost you a little bit of time. Go rate us five stars. The universe will love you for it. We'll see you next week. Hey, hey.